0: Should have put this on earlier. I said at the start of last week. Um, so for those of you who are just visiting us for the day, we've been spent the last five weeks looking at the what we call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples, and we come to the last uh, phrase in most versions, anyway, of uh, most of our Bibles uh, this morning. I was saying last week how I, I said that prayer, as Kim just uh, called us to say it then. I said it then, of course, as I remember it from school. We used to say that prayer nearly every, uh, I think, certainly most, if not all, assemblies. And we had an assembly every day. And uh, that, was, uh, that was part of it. And of course, the words, therefore, used to just trip Easily off my uh, tongue, and that's why I talked about trespasses, even though last week I preached on the line, forgive us our debts, but I said just forgive us our trespasses, because that's what I learned at school. And, uh, and it is easy, isn't it, to, for those words to just roll off the tongue, but in a sense, the line that we come today brings us up with a bit of a, a jolt if we're, if we're thinking, because although it's implicit in everything else that we've already looked at in this prayer, today for the first time we have mention of evil or the evil one. It can be translated either way because, it's, uh, because of the, the grammar. We have mention of evil or the evil one. And uh, in that phrase, deliver us from the evil one, it reads in the NIV. And that immediately reminds us that that actually we are, there is an enemy. There is an enemy. And uh, a very serious enemy, which is why it's referred to in this prayer. And uh, and of course, if there's an enemy, that basically means there's a conflict, there is a, a battle, there is an engagement of forces we think of battles, there are casualties. War is a terrible thing. A few weeks back, uh, Kim and I on our uh, trip to Scotland, um, we um, we used our National Trust um, cards to go and visit Culloden. For those of you who know more about history than I do, that you'll know that that is the great battle that was fought between Bonnie Prince Charlie, and uh, with the Highlanders on his side, against the English. And I have to say, being at that, uh, that scene, my sympathies were with the Highlanders. I wish the Highlanders had won, even though I'm English. But there's two, thi- two things that will stick in my m- memory from going to that battle. First of all, I've never been, never walked across a battlefield before. And at Culloden, they have it set out so that you can actually, on set pass, walk the battlefield, and they've got it all positioned by flags and things, so you know where all the different forces were arrayed. And you see the distance between the enemy, the enemy lines, the two opposing forces lines. The distance that those highlanders had to run, carrying their swords and shields or whatever else, to engage the English. And as they did, the English were lined up in long lines with their cannons and their... And their, and their muskets and they were shooting and the sheer size of this battlefield and also the thought that as you walk along you know and it says that along this place there are bones of people who died in that battle in the ground makes it very real and the other thing that made it very real was that they created a a sort of um, a virtual experience of the battle not by putting on these things, although I'm sure we'll soon all be able to do that, Um, but by going into a room. There's quite a big room, and so people can go in, and you stand in the middle of this room, and then all around you, on all four walls, is the battle being acted out by people in all the right dress and all the rest of it carrying the real swords and muskets and whatever else. And to start off and you see, so here you see the English lined up and you see the men. You see the fear on their faces as the, as the enemy come towards them. The sweat pouring off them. You see them as they're firing their muskets. And you're standing next to them. You're in line with them. And then you turn here and coming towards you are the Highlanders. Shouting, screaming as they run towards you. And then there's that moment when you engage and you're stuck here in the middle between this battle that's going on. And you see people fall. It's a bit like stunts um, of children, in a sense, can go in. So you don't see anybody you know, being hacked or arms disappearing or, or blood pouring out, which I'm sure. But what you see, you see people falling beside you. Made it very real. And this passage here reminds us that there is a battle going on. And it is just as real, only far greater than the battles that we see being fought uh, in a human, uh, physical context. And so Jesus encourages us to pray the line of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Strange, isn't it? It somehow seems not quite right, that phrase, and lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? That seems a bit odd, doesn't it? What does it mean? Well, we know God doesn't tempt us. God does not tempt us. So, well-known verse in James, which says, James chapter 113, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then he goes on to say, Don't, don't uh, that, that um, desire conceived gives birth to sin goes on then to say, don't be deceived, because every good and perfect gift is given from our Father in heaven. Our, Our Father does not tempt us to sin. He's the one who gives good and perfect gifts. What would we think of a father who enticed their own child to do wrong, to harm themselves? What would you think of a dad that did that? I was talking the other day about a funeral I took for a guy who was a a drug addict who we got to know. The reality was probably that he was a drug addict because of what had happened in his family and because of what his father did. And his father encouraged him to take drugs. And I took his funeral when he was just in his 30s. The consequence in a sense, of what that father did. And we, I I would not think well of that father, neither would you. How could we think that our Father in heaven would tempt us? He does not tempt us. He cannot tempt us. It is not possible. But are we led into temptation? Well, if we go back to just a a chapter before in Matthew's Gospel, which is where we were looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 4 verse 1 says this, doesn't it? This says, immediately after Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit has come upon him, and when the Father says, this is my Son, whom I love, with, whom, with him I am well pleased. This is what's... And it says then, verse chapter 4 verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Not by the Spirit, but he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by of course the evil one by the devil the devil tempts he's the one that entices to what the, to us to evil he's the one who lies and deceives with one aim to spoil to destroy to ruin all of god's creation work against God and all his good purposes. And that's the devil who tempts. And we know that in that temptation... ...of the devil... ...by the devil of Jesus... ...that Jesus overcame that temptation, didn't he? He didn't, unlike Adam... ...who was also tempted right at the beginning... This man, Jesus, did not yield to temptation. He overcame temptation. Jesus was the one who would be faithful, who was willing to humble himself rather than Adam who reached out to get and to gain for himself. Jesus is the one who would do what the Father wanted. But Jesus was led to that place of tempt-testing. Word for temptation there is a word also that talks about testing and, and we are led into places of testing. We find ourselves we cannot avoid it because there is a because of the conflict that's going on anyway, but we are led into places of testing. Not so that we will fail, although sometimes we do, perhaps all too often we do. We are led into places of testing so that we might grow trong- stronger. I saw, I saw. Um, well, you see it often, don't you? I saw very recently parents teaching their child to ride a bike. The bike now, not a balanced bike anymore. The stabilizers are off. This is a real proper bike, which means, of course, it's a bike that you can fall off. And we've all done that. In fact, I've just bought a big bike, so pray that I don't fall off, otherwise I might be hurting myself seriously. But the... but. You see a a parent teaching their child to ride a bike. They do that knowing there's a risk that their child can fall and hurt themselves. But they do it because they know it's important for a child to learn to be able to ride themselves so that they can have the joy of riding a bike, so that they can grow physically strong by exercising by riding a bike. They lead them into that situation not because they want them to fall off, to fail, but because... They want them to grow and enjoy and to become people uh, in every sense of the word as they grow up. We will face trials and temptations. We are not promised an easy life. But Jesus, as Christians sometimes we think that we, we should have that easier life. And, uh, and the truth is, of course, there are many things that we do avoid, many consequences that we avoid by living the way God wants us to live. We do not face, Kim and I often talk about various friends of ours, and the problems that they face. And the problems that they face are often because of consequences of, what's hap- of decisions they've made. And it's not that we think we're, not, we're any better. We don't. It's just that we know that by God's grace we've managed to avoid those things. By being part of a church family, we've managed to avoid some of those things. By having good friends who stood by us, we've managed. And those are all means of God's grace to us. And so, yes, we do avoid sometimes the consequences that we would otherwise be suffering and that other people face. But it were not promised an the easy life. In fact, Jesus said the very opposite, didn't he? To so his disciples, just before he said, left them, he said, In this world, you will have trouble." Have we got that, taking that on board? (laughs) That's how it is. And in a sense, as Christians, we face added trouble. If we seek to live the life that God wants for us, then we have an enemy that will actively oppose that. He will want to trip us up. He'll want to bring us down. He'll want he'll want us to dishonor our Father. And difficulties are Trials. They are trials in a sense that God uh, leads us into, but they are also then, as John Piper puts it, laced with temptations. The trials of God, the trials that he leads us into, are also those same things that the devil seeks to bring to us as temptations. And the question is, when we face difficulties... Um, And in that word, I I use that word in its biggest possible sense. There can be many of varied sorts. But when (coughs) when we face difficulties, the question is, will we seek God? Or will we turn away from him? Will we trust him or will we blame him? And it's easy. We know at times we've all done that. Will we take on, I told, although there are troubles, he said, he said to his disciples then, didn't he, but, but I have overcome the world. And then he tells them later that he is with them every day, all the days, always, I'll be with you. Do we believe that that's true? Will we hold on to that promise? Will we allow our suffering and our facing of difficulties to be an e- a witness to non-believers and an encouragement Believers. I am encouraged. I tell you, this is genuine. I am often encouraged by the things that I see people facing, and yet they keep going. They don't lose their faith. May not always be straightforward. One of the girls that we know <coughs> knew best in our in our many years ago, who's a who ins- was a great she was an inspiration to us because of her character. She'd had, she'd had a really difficult life. She'd had difficulties within her family. The, f- family had, uh, devo- the parents had divorced. The family had, had, had split. Um, she'd had problems with health, serious problems. She's one of those people who had to be put in a bubble and left in a bubble for weeks and weeks and weeks because no one could have any contact with her because of the illness that she had. She'd broken legs and arms and all sorts of things. She was, she was a, bit of Graham, a bit of a Graham Dancy of this world, actually. She was one of those sorts who liked to try doing different things and often suffered the consequences. A fiancé was killed just before they were due to get married when he was riding his motorbike. She'd had a difficult life, and yet she was a beacon of light to those that knew her. She was a strength, a source of encouragement. Will we allow ourselves to be like that? It was C.S. Lewis, wasn't it? He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pains. If we will just but listen. And it's not always easy, I know. I, I <laughs> and I know there's people who know it far more than I do. That is not always listen. If we were to look at the life of Job and how, how, how that was a trial that God brought to him in a sense. God said it could happen. God allowed those things to happen to Job, those terrible things, things that I don't know how any of us could cope with. God allowed that. But at the same time, the devil was seeking. Do you remember when his wife came to him? Job was cursing the day of his birth, but his wife came to him and said, Curse God! Curse God and die! That was a temptation, because he wanted to die, but he wouldn't. And in his end, in the end, not just that all those things were restored to Job, that's not the point. Job says these words He said, My ears had heard of you. In other words, Before I'd heard of you, God, and I knew you in a sense, he said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Through that trial, God enabled Job not just to get back what he'd lost, but he enabled Job to know him in a way that he didn't know him before and to experience him. Job had grown through those temptations and difficulties. But it's not just our... facing difficulties is it they're not the only trials all our pleasures and in that i use the word globally we could talk about wealth possessions positions all the rest of it good family lives etc in all of our pleasures they are also a trial we don't see them that way of course but they are because there is a question then that we have to see. How, not just do we do respond to our difficulties and our pains, how do we respond to our pleasures? The good things in life that we enjoy. Do we recognize that all good things have come from our Father in Heaven? Or do you think actually, as I, so easy, I say myself, because I, I hear myself thinking these things, or do I think actually that I've got it by my own efforts? Do I think my wealth has come because I was such a clever guy and I worked so hard? And even if I did, who would enable me to do that. That was God. I didn't, de- I didn't deserve the position that I had. It was His good gift to me, to us. Will, will you be thankful? Will I be continually grateful for all that I have and enjoy? Will I thank him, and will that be shown in my life, and will other people see that? And again, will that be a witness to non-believers? actually, that God has provided this? Or will I happily let them think or even encourage them to think that somehow I did this? What a good guy I am. How good. What an achievement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Will we see that the pleasures of this life are only temporary? That they won't last? They are to be enjoyed, but they're only temporary? And that the real treasures are to be stored up for the age to come? Because that's where they'll last forever? Or are we going to value this life's treasures more? Will God still be our greatest treasure? Or will the things, the pleasures of this life become our treasures and become our idols, become our priorities, become more important than God himself? You see how the devil uses our trials and they become temptations? We can either grow through how we respond to the trials grow in the ways that I've just meant, the positive ways that I've just mentioned in terms of a grateful life, in terms of sharing what we've got, in terms of recognizing that it's from God, in terms of being the witness that that is, etc, etc. Or we will fall. We will fall that by thinking that we've done it, we deserve it, this is what's important, this is what we're going to go after, this is what we want more of. And in the end, God becomes a little God, somewhere stuck on a shelf somewhere. And in front of us, we have our idols that we worship. And they can be, you know, they can be many, many and varied things. And that's why, and that's, of course, happened in the life of Israel, didn't they? Although God gave them all this stuff, gave them this land, gave them all these crops they didn't plant, gave them these houses they didn't build, gave them this wonderful place, and he said to them before they went in, and he said it again afterwards, he said, I have given you all of this to enjoy he wanted them to enjoy it but don't forget that it was me that gave it to you don't forget that it was this was my provision for you and what did they do they forgot they thought it was theirs by right and they worshipped the things that god had given them to enjoy Our pleasures can also be trials and temptations. And that's why we have to pray this prayer. Jesus' prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus prayed this prayer. I've no doubt about that. I'm not saying he always used these words. But I'm sure that this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray was a prayer that he also prayed himself. Of course, the line, forgive us our trespasses, did not apply in that sense. But in also in one sense, as he aligned himself with humanity and with human beings who needed God's forgiveness, he prayed this prayer. And we know that he prayed this prayer at least once. Because when we read that prayer that he prayed, in Geth- those just few words in Gethsemane, we see there in Matthew 26, we see echoes of this prayer that he taught the disciples. You know, when he's there and he's, he's there and he takes Peter and James and John along with him to pray and he, he knows everything that's happening and he knows what's going on and he knows what, what will happen and he asks them to stay with him and pray. And he says, then he falls to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Father! Your will be done. Your will be done. Even now. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He prayed. He prayed that he would... Be not be led into temptation. He prayed that God would deliver him from the evil one. And Hebrews tells us that as he cried those words with tears, he says, God heard. God heard. But God did not say, God did not deliver him from the evil one. Instead, he answered the prayer of Jesus that said, if it's if there's no other way then your will be done and to that god said amen god the father said amen jesus did not fail the test and we read this in hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and by his death that he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He goes on to say, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We can pray this prayer. We can pray the line in this prayer because Jesus prayed this prayer, and he lived this prayer, and he saw this prayer, that line, right through its very end and conclusion. And he defeated the devil and destroyed his work. And one day that will be seen and recognized by everybody. For now, we need faith to see that, to know that. But we need to pray This prayer we can pray this prayer because of what Jesus accomplished and we need to pray this prayer because we are too weak We cannot do it on our own We cannot we cannot overcome temptation We will fall if we try and use our natural abilities To overcome the works of the enemy the works of the devil we need to pray Otherwise, like that f- battlefield in Culloden, where Highlanders and, of course, many English, but many Highlanders fell, we will fall. We will not. We will not stand. As we're encouraged to stand in Ephesians chapter six, we're encouraged to stand in the battle and remain standing and be standing there when it's all finished, still to stand. And we stand there because we use the equipment and God an armor that God has provided. We have to fight with his weapons. We can't fight people who've got machine guns and tanks and nuclear armaments. We can't fight them with swords and little shields. We can't fight the devil with our our natural abilities, even though those abilities are given to us by God. We can only fight him by using the weapons and the equipment that he's provided for us. And we can read those, can't we, in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, about the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the the Spirit, etc. And how does that end? How does Ephesians 6, that passage, end? It says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that I would fearlessly declare the gospel. All occasions, all kinds of prayers, always keep on praying for all the saints. That's what Paul says. So we finish our series on the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that in every sense, as I said last week, every request of that, every ask in that prayer is that the Father might be honoured as we pray it and as we live it out. But this is a prayer to pray. And here's the challenge, and this is the challenge to me. We've done six weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer. And the importance of all that it contains. And it contains more truth, even as we've just done these few weeks, we've seen that it's far more than we could ever communicate what different preachers have brought out from us. But this is a prayer to be prayed. This is a prayer for Abbey Church to pray. This is a prayer that needs to be in in the forefront of our minds on a daily basis. You see, I, and I'm challenged by this because this is the thought that came to you as I was preparing this thing. Andrew said, you're teaching about prayer. You're teaching these things. Are you going to pray this prayer? Are you going to pray it with perseverance? Are you going to pray it believing that I hear when you pray it? That actually I can answer these requests and I will answer them. They won't always be in the ways that we want. But I will hear and I will answer if you will ask. And that's the question for all of us, isn't it? We talk about prayer. We can preach about prayer. And it's a good thing to talk and preach about. It. But we need to pray. And I think the challenge, the question, I think, I think, speaking probably on behalf of us elders, we need, we recognize that we need to start or at least to start again to pray as a church. We all talk about prayer. Will you be there to pray? Do we have that desire to pray? Knowing that as we do, God will honor and be honored by our prayers. And we finish with the line that we all used to say at school, but which is not in most versions because it was probably almost certainly a later edition. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Amen means, says, I agree. I agree. Let's agree, shall we?